Exodus 6, verses 1 to 8. Good morning, Wallenstein. Good morning, Wallenstein. I will start in 1 to 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where he resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaved, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, I say to Israelite, I am the Lord, and I will make you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you from an outstretched arm. And with this mighty act of judgment, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you from the land I swore with uplifted hands to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give you as a possession. I am the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jen. So today we look at the actual name of God. We've been doing a series on the names of God, and so far we actually haven't looked at the name of God. The names that we've looked at are actually not really names. They're more titles or descriptions. Today we find that God's given name, a name that he ascribed to himself, is this beautiful word, Yahweh. God has a name. So I don't know if you came in this morning and uh, did you have that awkward moment where you found yourself right in front of someone that you should have known and you couldn't remember their name and maybe they couldn't remember your name and so you had that awkward uh, pause and it's funny how important it is for us to know each other by name. And when we have that awkward moment when I can't remember your name or the awkward moment when you don't remember my name, there's something something about that that just teaches us how important our names really are. And when it comes to God, his name is so important, not just so that we would know who he is, but so that we would know what he is like. Exodus 6, 1 to 8, here we learn about the name Yahweh. The story takes place after Moses has been sent by God to Egypt. You might remember in chapter 3 of Exodus, Moses is out in the wilderness, he's tending sheep, and he sees the miraculous sight of the burning bush. He goes over to the burning bush, and there he meets God face to face. He hears the voice of God. He has a conversation with him in which God sends him to go to Egypt, to go to Pharaoh, to demand that Pharaoh let God's people, the Israelites, go. They were in bondage and slavery in Egypt. So by chapter 6, Moses took a lot of convincing, but finally he and his brother Aaron did go back to Egypt, 
and they made their first demand to Pharaoh. They showed them a couple of God's miraculous signs. They asked that Pharaoh would let the people of Israel go, and what did Pharaoh do? Instead of letting them go, he increased their labor. He said, you need to make the same number of bricks you used to make, but now you're gonna have to find your own straw with which to make those bricks. And so the people of Israel were crying out in anger to Moses, you've made it worse. And so we come to chapter six, when this is the the condition. If you notice at the end of chapter five, you'll see Moses crying out to, to God, why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, He's brought trouble on this people, and you've not rescued your people at all. So it's to respond to Moses and to the people of Israel that we find God speaking here in chapter 6. And he says to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And then we find this interesting verse where God begins to address his name. He said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as, do you remember this name? It was just last week with Chris, God Almighty, that's El Shaddai. I did not make myself fully known to them by my name, the Lord. If we uh, translate that, and insert the names of God that we've already studied and the one that we're going to see today, it looks like this. Elohim, God, said to Moses, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham as El Shaddai, but by my name Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. So there's a problem right off the bat here, because if you read back, we're not that far into the Bible, and if you go back into Genesis Uh, You don't have to read very far, not only to find that the same name is being used, the name Yahweh is being used and translated in our English Bibles as Lord, but people are even referring to God by that name. So that's happening already in the book of Genesis. So why would God here say to Moses that the patriarchs did not know me by this name, or by this name I did not make myself fully known to them? It's very interesting, isn't it? My theory is that they knew the name of God, but they had yet to learn what it meant. Isn't that true for us sometimes? You know someone's name long before you know about them, and what are they like? Here, God is going to reveal to Moses, here in chapter 6, as well as in chapter 3, and then in chapter 34 of Exodus, he's going to help Moses understand what the name Yahweh really means. See, God doesn't just want us to know his name. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know about him. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. Now, you might be asking, well, then why don't we see the name Yahweh in our Bibles? If this is the name of God, why is it translated in our English Bibles in this kind of, I don't know, it's not a very colorful way, not, not very meaningful, it would seem, as just simply the Lord The words that are being translated, or the word that's being translated here for Yahweh, is simply this. This is how the Jewish scribes wrote the name of God. They wrote the consonants, but they did not write the vowels. And the reason for that was they believed that God, rightly so, was so tremendously holy. His name was so holy 
that they did not want to write it. This was a form of reverence, of, of worship, that they so revered God that they wouldn't write his full name. So in English, in the ancient manuscripts that we translate into English, this is all we have, these four consonants. The problem is we don't actually even know for sure what the vowels were. Now, how many of you have heard the name Jehovah? Many of us, most of us, I think, have heard that name. Maybe you've met someone who's called a Jehovah's Witness. Where does the name Jehovah come from? Well, the name Jehovah comes from these four consonants, but then the vowels from a different word, a different title for God, the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord or Master. And what the ancient scribes did in this case is they took the vowels from Adonai and these consonants from this word that we are, we're going to say Yahweh, and they mixed them together. And that's where we get the word Jehovah. So here's one thing we know for sure, quite certainly, is that God's actual name was not Jehovah. You can't just take letters from one word and letters from another word, scramble them together and think we're going to get the right word. Scholars today believe that Yahweh is the most likely pronunciation for these four consonants that we have. Now you look in your Bible and you'll see it there, verses uh, 3 and 4, and it's translated this way. It's simply translated the Lord, but notice carefully that the Lord is capitalized. All the letters of this word are capitalized, and that's the way that the translators want us to identify this name of God. Adonai, when the, word, the Hebrew word Adonai is used for Lord or Master, which is very common in the Old Testament, you'll see it written as Lord, but all the letters after L are small case. But when it's this word, this actual name for God, in every case, they will capitalize all four letters. So, now as you're reading through the Old Testament, you can identify when is God referencing his own personal name, or when is someone speaking to him by his own personal name? I wonder how you feel about this. I can tell you how I feel about this. God has a name, a personal name. I, I, I think it's beautiful. And yet in our English translations, what do we get? The Lord. Now, I don't mean to be irreverent by that, but I, the problem I see with that is that God has a name, God is a person, he wants us to know us, he wants to know us personally, and yet when the Bible gives us his name, we get more of a title, don't we? So it raises the question then, why in our English Bibles don't they just say Yahweh? Scholars are fairly certain that's the right way to pronounce these continents, consonants, and here's three reasons why the translators have decided not to. Number one, they don't know for absolute certain that Yahweh is the right way to say this name. Pretty sure, but not absolutely sure. That's the first reason. Second reason, when the New Testament writers, which of course many of them were our Lord's disciples, when they wrote their New Testament scriptures and when they quoted from the Old Testament and when their quotation included the name of God, what did they write? They wrote Lord. 
Now, that's a pretty good precedent for, for English translators today to say, well, maybe we should do the same thing because that's what the apostles did when they wrote and quoted from the Old Testament. That's a pretty good argument. The third argument is this one, that English readers today have become accustomed to referencing our God as the Lord. And I would actually agree with that. That's generally the way I pray. I might pray to Father or I, I might pray to the Lord. When I talk about him with, with many of you, I will often use that phrase, the Lord. And it's not merely meant as a title to us when we say that. We're speaking of someone that we love, someone who we know loves us, someone who has redeemed us. And so this term, the Lord, can be used in a very affectionate and meaningful way. So if you're in a small group, you get to wrestle with this question, is it right in our English translations that we don't get to see the name Yahweh? I'm not so sure that it's, it's ideal, but this is the reason why we don't see the name Yahweh, and instead we see the Lord capitalized. Well, let's get into uh, the meaning of this passage, and what is it that we learn about Yahweh in these eight verses that is so crucial? And I'm going to use that name uh, from here on, if you don't mind. Uh, notice in verse 2, as the Lord is speaking, Yahweh is speaking to Moses. Verse 2, he says, I am the Lord. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Some of you might know why. He says, I am Yahweh. The reason that's interesting is if we go back to chapter 3, when Moses stood at the burning bush, and there he had a conversation with Yahweh. And the Lord is saying to him, you, I'm sending you back to Egypt. You're going to go and confront Pharaoh. You're going to ask him to let my people go. And of course, uh, Moses there is kind of sputtering away. He's trying to find some excuse why he couldn't possibly take on this task. It's too great a task for him. He's not a good speaker. It's just not possible. So he comes up with this question. I think he's hoping to trip God up. So who should I say sending me, God? What if they ask me? And of course, that's common, right? In those days, everybody had their God, small g, and their gods had their names. And during the period when Israel was in Egypt, you don't get the sense that they had a lot of communication or contact with God. It was like he was almost like a historical person that the patriarchs had known about. So Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? And God answers this way, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Is that clear? That makes sense to you all. This is what God is revealing about himself. This phrase, I am who I am, is closely connected to the name Yahweh. Now here's one of the reasons why. In Hebrew, those words, I am, sound something like this. Just bear with me here. I'll try to say it. Sounds something like, aye. Now put aye together with Yahweh, and it actually sounds nice, doesn't it? Some believe it's actually a play on words, that God was purposely using this phrase with his name because they sound alike, but also because God intended for this phrase, I am, to be closely linked to his name so that we understand what his name means. I remember as a kid, someone uh, got me a mug and it had my name on it, Gary. 
And then underneath Gary, it had the meaning of my name, Mighty Spearman. Not sure it's ever, never, never used a spear in my life, but that's apparently what my name means. In biblical times, names always, always carried meaning. You might have remembered that if you've read through the story of Abraham recently because he started out as Abram. We heard about this last week. And God changed his name to Abraham. This happened many times throughout, especially the Old Testament, where a name had meaning, and often God would change a name to bring new meaning. God's name has meaning. And this phrase, I am who I am, is an important meaning that God intended for us to link with his name. So what does that mean? I mean, it sounds to me like, uh, you know, when they interview a hockey player after a big loss. So what do you, what, you know, tell us about the performance. Well, it is what it is. That's great. Yeah, that's profound. But you know, there is something profound when God says, I am who I am, or you could translate it this way, I am because I am. Do you know that God is the only person who can say that? He's the only one who can say, I am because I am. The rest of us, what would we have to say? You start a sentence that says, I am, and if you want to talk about your origins or where you came from, the answer always is like this, I am because he is. Every person in this universe has to say it that way. Every thing that is in this universe, the universe itself would have to say, I am because he is God. But only God can say, I am because I am. It means this, some have said that God is self-existent. He does not own his existence to anyone or anything. You ever get into a debate with a scientist or someone who's an atheist or someone who believes in science but not in God, and so you talk about how, well, God is the sort. God created everything. Oh, well, so who, who created God? God answered that. I am because I am. He is self-existent. He is eternal from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. There is no source for God. God alone is the source. And so this name and this phrase, I am, sets God apart by his very name from everyone and everything. He alone is God. He alone is creator. He alone is the source and everything else and everyone else has their source in him. So if you go home today and decide, I'm going to make a batch of cookies, you take the ingredients, chocolate chips, I hope, and the flour, and maybe an egg, maybe some milk, maybe some sugar, and you make a batch of cookies. But we always must remember that whatever we make, whatever your job is, if you're in production, if you're a contractor, if you're in construction, whatever you build, you're not the source. You've taken some ingredients that God had already produced and you made something out of it. I am because he is, but God is just because he is. He's the great I am. This is the first lesson we find here about Yahweh from Exodus 6 and from Exodus 3. Yahweh 
means that God is the self-existent I am. There's another thing we see early in these verses here. Verse 2, God says, I am the Lord. Then he says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord. Here's God himself identifying for us that Yahweh is not a title. It's not a description like some of the other names we've seen. This is his personal name. God has a name. We talked about this earlier, how important names are when it comes to knowing each other, when it comes to relating to each other. When I write an email, I always want to start by saying, hey, Robert, I want to say it by name. Sometimes I get an email that just says, hey. And I feel like, do you, do you know who I am? Do you know my name? Am I, am I just your servant here? I like to speak to people by name. I remember uh, when we lived in Gory, and I'd see the neighbor across the street, and I'd always say, hey, Nancy, or hi, Nancy. And I always thought, is that kind of weird that I always, I always say her name? But it's a personal thing. It's a way of identifying that I see you. I know you. God has a name. And he intends to be known by name. God has a name because he is a person. God is not merely a force. He's not a thing. He's not merely a title. He's not merely a philosophy. God is a person, which of course is the reason why all of us here are persons. It's why we all have names. It's why we care to be known by name. God made us that way because he made us in his image. We are personal beings because the God who made us is a personal being. He intends to be known by name. If we were to flip over to, uh, and maybe you want to do this for a moment, if you flip over to Exodus 34, this is the uh, third passage in this book that is so crucial to our understanding of the name Yahweh. This passage flows out of the end of Exodus 33 where Moses is on the mountain, he's getting the Ten Commandments, and he makes this bold request of God. He says, he says show me your glory. And in 34, God does that. Notice verse 2, be ready in the morning, come up on Mount Sinai, present yourself to me there. No one is to come with you. Verse 4, Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And then verse 5, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. That's kind of a weird thing to say. What does that mean? That he proclaimed it. Moses already knew his name. What does it mean that he proclaimed his name? And then listen, this is what it means. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Here's the thing that we need to realize about God. He's a person. And all of these beautiful attributes that he's describing to Moses, which by the way, he's, this is his glory. This is him letting Moses see a little glimpse of his glory. His glory is his person, his attributes, his character. 
And did you notice how personal these things are? These are attributes of relationship. To be gracious. To be slow to anger. To be abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. Thousands of people, that is. Being forgiving. And even dealing with the wicked. This is a God who deals with people. You see, what he's saying is, I am not primarily just a God of power. I'm not just primarily a God who sends lightning and thunder. I'm not just a God who can create everything with a word. I am primarily, by my name, by my person, I'm a God who loves people. I'm a God who wants to know people. I want to forgive people. I want to be gracious to people. And yes, I will deal in justice with the wicked. He is a person. And God intends to be known as a person. If you were to look back into chapter 33, there's a description there of, of Moses and how he lived in this intimate relationship with God as the leader of the people of Israel. Verse 11 of chapter 33 says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses, it was like he was being the representative of all the people that by his grace, and Moses wasn't perfect, but by his grace, God was appearing to Moses. And as they would spend that time together, it tells us in chapter 3, Moses' face would begin to glow. The glory of God, the beauty of his person would begin to be reflected off of the face of Moses as they just spent time together, as it says, face to face. You imagine tells us there in the chapter that Moses had his tent outside. I mean, God's so holy. Uh, he, he had his tabernacle in the midst of the people, but when he was coming down to meet with Moses, there was this tent out there, and the people would watch, and they'd see the cloud come down, they'd see Moses go in, and it says they're all standing, amazed at this God who would speak to a man face to face. Do you know that's, that's what God wants to do with you? That's why he sent Jesus so that he could know you. You're not holy. You're not perfect, just like Moses wasn't. It's only through God's redemption, through his provision of sacrifice, that we could ever know him face to face, but that's what he's made possible through Jesus. We can know him face to face. This is God's desire for you. He's a person. He has a name. He knows your name. He wants you to know his name. One last thing we see in chapter 6 pertaining to the name Yahweh. And it's the idea of covenant. Verse 4 The Lord speaking to Moses, I established my covenant with them, meaning the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. My covenant to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered, notice, my covenant. This is another thing that reminds us that God is a person. He's, he's a person who loves to make covenants. It's not just, a, not just a contract, but a covenant. Covenant always requires two persons who enter into a promise in their relationship with one another. We learned a little bit about this last week. God, of course, uh, provides this 
unconditional covenant. He made these unconditional promises to Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, he says, I will bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. He's fulfilling those promises now in Exodus as he brings the people out of Egypt. God makes his covenant. He alone could really fulfill that when it comes to a covenant with human beings. But his desire is to be in covenant relationship with his people. Many would argue this is the way it was meant to be. This is what Adam and Eve were meant to have before God. This covenant relationship. For us, we know it best in human terms by marriage. When a man and a woman enter into this promised covenant relationship, not merely a contract, but a promise, a covenant of giving life to one another. Notice what God goes on to say. Say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty axe of judgment. Notice this. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. You see how the name Yahweh here is so intertwined with this idea of promise and covenant. This is our God. A God who makes promises. He proved himself in the Old Testament. He made promises to Abraham. He made promises to David. Ultimately, these promises were primarily fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And now Jesus offers to us a new covenant. Do you remember what he said at the Last Supper? When he passed that cup of wine to his disciples and said, this is my blood. This is blood of the new covenant. And through the blood of Jesus, we have the opportunity to enter into a binding, eternal covenant with God, whereby he would say to us, you are my people. And we can say to him, you are my God. And it's not because of how smart we are, how, how good we've been, how religious we've been. No, it's based on the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ for us. And this is how we get to know him. Jesus said to his own disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. That's Yahweh talking. He came, he died so that we could know him in a personal way. This is what Christianity is. It's not a religion. It's a relationship in which we get to know the God who saved us. Let me show you those words that we just read on the screen here. Again, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, if we're honest, and as you're reading that, I don't know if you've looked at that scripture recently, or maybe you're seeing it for the first time, there's a real good question that we might ask here, and that is, how can God be all those things at the start? 
and also be that thing at the end? How can God be this God who's so compassionate and so gracious and also be a God who does not leave the guilty unpunished? And I hope you realize that the ultimate answer to that question was found on a Roman cross when our Savior, Jesus, willingly went there as God in human flesh, lived a perfect and sinless life, but was hated by the religious authorities and so was condemned to die. And as he died, God saw his death as a substitution whereby he took all of the guilt of the wicked and sinful ones of the earth, which includes you and I. You see, the cross is the ultimate answer to this as to how God can be all of these things at once. At the cross, we see the ultimate judgment and justice of God where his, his, his perfect judgment is being poured out on Jesus, on his own son, so that in turn, his grace, his love, his faithfulness, his forgiveness is poured out upon those who would trust in him. Have you done that? Have you come to see that Jesus did this for you so that you could know him, so that you could have a relationship with him? This is our faith. This is what we believe about Christianity. This is our understanding of God and his word and what he's done for us. I hear some of you saying, yes, but I've tried that. We talk about God being one that we can know. Well, he's never spoken to me. I know some of you in this room would say, well, I've tried praying to him. Haven't seen many answers. And there's something in your heart that keeps you from really believing and really giving yourself to this truth that you can know God personally. And it might not be that you don't believe in him, but you're just not sure that this is possible for you to know him in this personal way. How does this work? Well, here's the first thing I want to say. Let me just disclose a little bit about why I believe what I believe. Why do I believe the Christian faith? Why do I believe that these things about God are true? Why do I believe God's word? Well, here's the first reason, because it just rings so true. I mean, if this isn't true of God... What hope do we have in this world? If there is no great being who sees all of the mess of our world and the sorrow of our lives, yes, even the sin of our lives, if there is no one out there who's going to hold sin to account, if there's no one out there who loves me and who's willing to forgive me and make me his own, there's no hope. And yet as a human being, the very things that I find myself so longing for and so needing, the, the sense I, I need someone to take my shame, I feel guilty for the things that I've done, I, I need someone to come alongside me, I'm lonely, I can't do this alone, I need hope. Like where is there hope? I, is there any hope for the future in this world? And yes. The Bible says, God says, yes, yes. Because I can tell you I've had times in my life where it's the mountaintop experience where I feel like I'm like Moses face to face with God or I'm on the mountain spending time with God and then I've had times where he feels 
like he doesn't even exist. And I pray and I pray and God, where are you? And the thing you have to remember, we all have to remember is this. The bridge between us and God from our perspective is faith. We have to trust him. We have to believe in him. That means that we take what God says about himself and we say, I believe this to be true, and then we begin to act upon it. I I would argue we can all do this today. Wherever you are at in your spiritual journey, we can go home today and we can say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to act upon the truths that I've heard about Yahweh. I'm going to begin to pray to him as though he really is there. I'm going to begin to pray to him as though he really is compassionate and gracious. And what I've found in my life is when we take those steps of faith, believing what God has said about himself in his word, we take a step and we find there's a foundation under that step, under my foot, and it's God. And he meets me there in my weakness and in my frail faith. God proves himself to be true. I believe that he would do that for you. Yahweh. I am that I am. Yahweh, the God with a name, who's a person who wants to know us in a personal way. Yahweh, the God of covenant. His heart, his desire would be that you would enter into this new covenant through faith in Jesus Christ who shed his blood so that you can be forgiven and experience the compassionate and gracious God. May this be true for you and for me.